Now today as we get into the second part of our section um, of our series over uh, Matthew chapter 18, the restoration of a believer. Uh, this is part two out of uh, technically part four, or four parts, um, but we're going to wrap up with a compilation of explaining the concept of forgiveness based on, as I said, personal studies. Um, now the last episode we did, the last series, uh, the first part of this is called over the greatness of a child, or in other words, the importance of uh, preventing somebody from sin. In this one here, we're going to be covering the uh, issue um, over losing one to the flock, the importance to that, as well as why we you know, need to essentially chase after them. What happens when the sheep goes astray? Now, beginning in this, uh, for those of you who are listening in, feel free to grab your Bible uh, and grab a pencil or pen, a notepad, something to, something to write down notes if you would prefer, because... We're going to be jumping around just a little bit. Now, we're going to be going over these first uh, just a couple chapters, a couple verses here, 10 through 4. I'll go ahead and uh, begin this reading, and then from this, we'll go ahead and uh, break this down. Uh, starting verse 10 here of Matthew chapter 18. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you uh, that in heaven there are angels, their angels, referring to their uh, possession, um, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go to search for that one who has gone astray? And if he finds it, I sh or truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went, that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of the it is it is not the will so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now keep it in mind again these little sheep in which we're referring to. This is the body of Christ. These are his followers. These are his disciples. Um, this is not this is not the the concept of the world. This is not anything else. This is the kingdom. This is the people of the kingdom. Uh, and as we went over with uh, last week, the children, again, these are the children of God. In uh, this one here, there's actually a lot we can go over with. But, um, you know, in verse 10, uh, it says here, it says, So do not dare, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, one of the children, one of the people of the kingdom of God. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Keep in mind, uh, there's a lot going on here. And the first point here, as we shared a little bit last week, quoting a little bit from 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 10 through 13, Paul actually explains the importance um, of being well, or the, the importance of protecting the well-being of somebody who's younger in the faith. This includes looking. Uh, this includes looking down on them for their lack of spiritual maturity. Why? Because by looking down on another, you are guilty of quite a few things. By you know, for, for looking down for, um, uh, let's see here. Let me give an example. Um, the CEO of a company. He's always looking down on his employees. Um, you've got a pastor himself who's uh, puffed up who. 
uh, is so prideful, um, who is uh, unwilling to forgive, I'm going to throw that in here, uh, who is unwilling to forgive, who's had this education, who has the doctrines under his, or who has the education, and he makes it perfectly clear that that's there, uh, who rejects you, um, looks down on you, and casts you out as a heretic. Now, um, I'm giving that example because this is actually what motivated this originally, um, and, and it's uh, I think it's I think it's actually probably the best example that I can personally come up with right now. But by looking down on another who is either one less spiritual mature or spiritually less spiritually mature um, or less knowledgeable in the faith, um, you know, still has some growing. In other words, you got a four or five year old Christian child, so to speak. Here's, here's a couple of things in which we've talked a little bit last week. When you look down on somebody who is younger in the faith, you are sinning against them by disrespecting them. You are sinning against God for intentionally disrespecting his child. Uh, and possibly being the cause of the sheep going, you could also be, probably be the cause by looking down or casting somebody out um, or resolving conflict inappropriately, uh, according to Scripture. By not resolving conflict on biblical standards, you may possibly, though not always the case, you may possibly be the cause of the sheep that goes astray. And they may see you or the church as fake, as hypocritical, as unloving. And in the individual's mind who has gone astray, they can find respect, real people, and loving people elsewhere. In fact, I think that's actually a challenge that we have for the church. I've seen it, uh, I can't even remember word for word. I've seen this, this, this image. It's contradicting itself, but the point that it's trying to make is there. You know, the, the, the idea that people don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about that last week as well, um, or in our last, uh, last episode, or last, uh, you know, part one. But um, you can find, if the church is simply a church of people who are slapping the cross on their life, who are uh, simply saying, hey, I follow the Bible, and yet they're not living it out, there's the hypocrisy. But yet they claim to be they claim to be respectable of others or teach that idea. Uh, they claim to be real people, real believers. <clears throat> they claim to be loving, or you know, they practice the idea. Now, is it not possible outside of the church that you can find respectable people? Is it not possible that you can find real people who are, you know, open to showing their their true colors? Is it not possible that you can find people who are loving outside of the church? If that's the case, why do we even need a church? That's the logic. I don't need to go to church because what they're offering, I can find somewhere else. And there's the error of the church. is because this sheep is going astray because they're saying, I can find more respect, I can find more love, I can find more acknowledgement, I can find more guidance, more teachings, more instructions. I can find more or better, not at this church, but out there in the real world. And when they see the hypocrisy, when they see hypocrisy, and keep in mind, this is not, 
the idea of being a Christian and yet following. This is the idea of, of claiming to be a Christian and yet living contrary to what it represents. That is the hypocrisy. And when they see that, or specifically even see it within the church, within, when they see it within the minister, uh, ministry elders and the pastor who's supposed to be leading this flock, that's ultimately the cause, saying, you know, this, this is hypocrisy. I don't need this. I can get a better, a better example somewhere else. So we need to be careful with how we look at another. Never look down. In fact, I actually remember... Um, I remember a friend of mine contacted me, I don't know, sometime last year, and they were act, they were asking me something along the lines of, you know, you don't think less of me, you know, because of my faith or, you know, because of my understanding and, and level. And I told this person, I was like, no, I don't at all. In fact, I see, I see, a, I see a young, a young child in the faith that's wanting to learn. He want that. I, I see a young child that is seeking the Lord, seeking the truth. Is I don't look down on you. In fact, I'm here to help you with whatever that you need. And I, I, I personally found it to be a blessing that this person came to me. And number four, we okay. Uh, the first point here is you're sinning against them by disrespecting them. The second point is that you're sinning against God for disrespecting His child. Uh, point number three is that you're leading. You might be the cause of the sheep that goes astray. Point number four. This is why we don't look down. Point number four. You have ultimately wounded their conscience and their faith in the Lord. I remember, uh, as I said, this uh, this this series was uh, motivated by a previous experience, and I, it really pains me to see this. Is is this 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 event that was in my life? I, there was a, a gentleman which uh, you know I consider a friend, uh, a friend in the faith, and I contacted him sometime after the event. And he ultimately told me that it's like, well, you know, we're kind of sticking away from the Christian faith, uh, or however he worded it, I can't remember. But he's ultimately saying, I'm we're stepping away from the church. Uh, and I found that to be very concerning, very concerning, because it shows the spiritual nature. Not only that, but it proves my point here. You have ultimately wounded by looking down. You have ultimately wounded their conscience and their faith in the Lord. The reason people don't seek after God, one of them, I'm not saying it's the main one because there's a whole entire spiritual experience that comes. God himself pulls us to him. You find that often. We, we've talk, talked about that in our uh, series in Romans uh, when we talked about the elect. But there's a, a worldly example that they see is like I'm stepping away because you know I, I, I can find something else. Outside, I can find all of this that, I, that the stuff that you guys are providing me with I can find this outside of the church so you've wounded a conscience of the faith in the Lord very dangerous stuff to do um, and in fact we thought we even went over with last week how Jesus himself says that it would be better for this person to have a millstone wrapped around their neck and to be thrown in the sea the last part of this Jesus tells uh, tells us that these little ones, are being watched over by the heavenly angels. The beings who are protecting and helping to care for them, who are guiding, in a, in a sense, they're nurturing these young believers. I mean, to make matters worse here, you look down on these younger ones. By, you know, by, when you look down 
on these younger ones, these younger Christians, these younger people of the, of the faith, your actions are being seen by the Father who is in heaven. And we see this here as the passage states they are being watched by angels who are always accompanying the Father. And if they're always in the company of the Father, this goes to say, excuse me, this goes to say that wherever the angels go, whatever they see being done, so too does the Father. So whatever you commit an offense, whenever you disrespect a younger person of the faith, whenever you dis uh, intentionally disrespect, or you're not only sinning against God, but or you, God is seeing this all play out. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that no creature can hide from God, and God sees all. This is actually according to the voice translation. Everyone and everything is exposed, open for his inspection, and he is the one we will have to explain ourselves to. Hebrews 4.13 is essentially saying that regardless of how much we try to hide, no matter how much, even if we, no matter what sin that we have committed, even if it is against these younger ones in the faith, no matter how much we try to justify it, no matter how much we try to brush it on the rug, no matter how much we try to hide and to avoid it and look away, God still sees it. And the only thing, there's only two options we can do. We can either face it, we can either come and, come and uh, con uh, be convicted by this sin that we have committed, not only against this little child, but against God for, for, for acting this way. We can either confront it and try to resolve it, or we can brush it under the rug and have that be labeled reasons for judgment or reasons for punishment or reasons for condemnation or reasons for discipline. However you would prefer to word that. This is simply going to stack there because we have not tried to resolve the issue. We've ran from it. We have not corrected Verse 11 here, uh, according to the ESV, actually tells us, uh, I lost the verse. I did lose the verse. It's not even in this translation. Awesome. Okay. The Son of Man has come to save those who are lost. I believe this uh, might actually be a passage in which is not originally supposed to be in here. Anyways, we'll get into that at another point. I'm going to have to look at my study Bible to see what kind of answers we can come up with. A son of man has come to save all those who are lost. We see that uh, being played out in John chapter uh, 3, which we'll get into here in a minute. I've got some more commentary. But uh, the lost, who are these lost people? Jesus, the son of man, has come to save those who are lost. The lost people... Who are not are, are the people who are not of the body because those who are of the body are those who have been saved those who have who have repented those who have seeked after God's righteousness every person who does not have the Holy Spirit and I'm not suggesting that a baptism by water because every you know a lot of people even the Catholic Church does that I uh, but you know I'm, here's some examples Every person who does not have the Holy Spirit. Examples: the Wiccan culture, the pagan culture, which is you know a universal term for it's a term for you know outside of the Christian faith um, or not true beliefs. Uh, the pagan culture. So anybody else? Uh, Norse mythology, Satanism, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Catholics, and more. These are the these are the people who are lost. 
And it's not just these false religions, but it's those who are outside of religion, the agnostics and the atheists. These people as well. Any person who is not, bo not born by the Spirit of God, according to Christ, is considered lost. Now, this is not something that is permanent. Not at all. I mean, you're not always going to be lost. Um, but it is initial. It is the first step, uh, if you wish. And we, we talked about that again in Romans. You know, first there's condemnation. There's a separation from God. And that separation is that lostness. I don't even think that's a word, but that's what it is. Some people are, or something that all people are born with is this sense that they're lost. And thankfully, Jesus tells us in, in John chapter 3, verse 17, that he's not come to condemn the world, but we must keep in mind condemnation is already the reality of anybody who is apart from Jesus. We must recognize that. Anybody who is outside of the body of Christ, condemnation stands to be the reality. Fortunately, Romans 8.1 tells us that there is no condemnation for anybody who is in Jesus Christ. He came to save us. He came to save us, and, 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 and does that really mean, does that mean that we are all saved because of the cross? No. There's a, uh, a conflict. Uh, it's a contradicted thing. I can't remember. I want to say first. It's either first or second Peter. Uh, that's where I'm going with. Um, where we talk about Christ himself being the savior of the world. Now, the world itself, it's not referring to the entire world, the entire creation, that he's come to save everybody, or that everybody is saved because of the cross. But it says that, it, it, the idea that everybody has that opportunity. The cross itself, this world in which Jesus Christ died for, is not the entire creation. But it is those who have repented, who God calls, who God has elected, who have been predestined from before creation. These are the people in which he died for. God chose these people. He chose a select group of people. And he said, I'm going to save these people. But there still needs to be justice. Their crimes still need to be paid. Something has to be done. And Christ says, I'll take, the, I'll take the sacrifice. I'll take the punishment for him. The lost are those who have not yet been forgiven. The lost are the ones who have not been made aware or choose to ignore the call from Christ and come to repentance. The lost are those who hate the light and run back to the darkness where their wickedness can flourish. John chapter 3, verse 20. Going on to verse 12 here, it says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep, and the one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go search for the one that went astray? The shepherd is usually a hired hand. Uh, the, sheep, the shepherd is not the one who owns the sheep, but he's the one who tends the sheep. The shepherd was usually a hired hand uh, that tends the flock, and they were also to be held accountable for any loss in the flock, uh, and, and they were also required to repay the master for any lost sheep. So the point that Jesus really is making here 
as relating the importance of keeping one in the flock, enduring, or I'm sorry, ensuring that they do not stray away, do not lose them. These are my, this is my property. These are my children. I'm simply hiring you, the minister, the pastor. I'm hiring you. I'm appointing you to take care of my sheep. Keep it in mind, this shepherd, or as we, would, we can word it, is the minister, is responsible for these 100 sheep. And if they, as an example here, the chasing after one who leaves the church is very important because this is not going to be just something that the, the, the stray sheep has to deal with, but this is something that the, uh, the minister or even any, it doesn't even have to be the minister. It can be those within the church, anybody. It could be somebody sitting in the congregation in the pews. Even they are called into ministry. Everybody who, is a, everybody who is a believer, everybody who is a Christian, a professing believer in Christ, who professes to serve him, are, are supposed to be ministers of the word. You know, because like the sheep who, uh, the shepherd who cares for his flock, we are to be held accountable to some degree of the one we cause to stray away from the flock. So the severity is there. In John chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, Again, this is the uh, voice translation. The hired hand runs because he works only for the wages and does not care for the sheep. His concern here is about the numbers who stray. Or his, number, his concern is about the number who stay, the 99. The spiritual prophet of 99, uh, unwilling to let one sheep go, uh, he's concerned about the numbers who stay. The spiritual prophet here... And he's willing to let this one sheep go or get attacked, as we find off in John chapter 10. Verse 14 says that I am the good shepherd, referring to Christ. I am the good shepherd. I am the one in charge of these sheep. I am the one who will not let these sheep go astray. But instead, I will not let these sheep die. I will not let these sheep be eaten by ravenous wolves. Instead, I will give my life for the sheep. I will do whatever I can to make sure that this sheep stays with the flock. As we aspire to be Christ-like, shouldn't we also be willing to leave the 99 sheep? Shouldn't we be willing to leave the church, leave the congregation, and chase after that one sheep who has left? The one who's went astray, the one who's been abandoned. So why don't we make every single effort to chase them down? To bring that sheep back into the fold? That's my question. My question to you is if, if you have somebody that goes astray, keep in mind there will be false believers. And then there will be false converts, and we have already went over the concept, and I believe, uh, I want to say First John, uh, maybe 2 verse 9, I could be wrong on that. They went ahead of us, or they, they parted from us because they were not of us. If they were truly of us, they would have stayed. That passage itself is indicating that there are false believers who leave the church. And that is simply evidence. They leave the faith. And that is evidence 
that this person was never truly saved in the first place. But even so, if this person's not saved, that means we need to chase them down all the more. Because they know the word of God, but they've rejected it. And if they will listen, if they will be willing to listen, we need to chase them down and, and show them the accountability. Show them just how much they need Christ. Verse 13 through 14 says, If he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. And so it will so it's not it is not the will of my Father in heaven that one of these little sheep shall perish. Second Peter three, verse nine. He is now slow. He is he is not slow, but patient and merciful. Not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to turn away from following the path out his own path and towards the path of the Father. This alone is the concept of um, this is not specifically talking about uh, the entire world, but it's essentially he's talking about God is slow, or is he's not slow, but he's patient and merciful. He's not wanting anyone to be destroyed. And this is in reference to those who are of the body, the, the elect, those who have been predestined from the beginning of creation. The best way that I can personally explain it, and it might be a failure, this explanation might be a failure, is that God has already chosen everybody throughout all of time in which will be saved, in which will, become, which will come into the kingdom of heaven. And all he is doing, which is, it's, it's kind of a paradox here, because God himself is omnipotent, he exists outside of time, so he's not, he's not bound by time. But it's interesting to think, he's waiting. By our understanding, our perception of time, he's waiting for that last sheep in one, two, three thousand years, four thousand years, whatever, however long it takes, he's waiting for this one to repent and turn to the Lord. Doing everything that he can to save his chosen people. That, my friends, is all we have for uh, this episode. We'll go ahead and do another recording um, either sometime this week or maybe uh, this weekend. Uh, the importance of having a sheep go astray. Uh, next week we'll be talking about caring for the stumbling child. Or, or in other words, confronting sin. I hope you guys uh, got a lot out of this. Uh, this is a very, you know, I, I love digging, digging this apart. I even love going over this uh, older stuff here. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever it is, please feel free to put them in the comments below. Uh, feel free to subscribe, support, do whatever you can to help this ministry. Share this video with your friends. Uh, those of you who are listening in on the audio, feel free to share that with your friends. It's on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and just about everywhere else that you can think of, including straight on our website, ChristianCornerstone.org. You, you guys have yourself a very wonderful weekend. God bless.